I'm thrilled that you are here. I'm very excited. I've gotten more excited as the days have gone about teaching this material, which I have not taught in about eight or nine years in the way I'm going to do it. Grace from A to Z. And I'm very expectant. Um, I think we've been praying about this and uh, it just feels like the right time. I'm going to try to keep it to 30 minutes. Debbie said I'm going to need to talk really fast so I can get it all in. Um, it will be boiled down, but it won't be watered down. You do have binders, and in your binders is just the notes for tonight and a list of the topics that we're going to cover. And uh, every week I will be giving you new pages to put into that binder that have the scriptures that we're going to cover. I want to just go through, real quick, go through the topics that I'm going to cover. Session one tonight is entitled, The Gospel Plain and Simple. And I'm just going to share my own testimony, and then I'm going to define gospel in a nutshell. Session two is God's great demonstration of love, and I'm going to talk about the greatest demonstration of love in the history of the world, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about why God is not counting our sins against us. Session three is the two Adams. And I'm going to talk about uh, federal headship and the difference between self-righteousness and Christ-righteousness. Session four is going to be grace and law, two wonderful passages in Romans 5, Romans 6. I'm going to talk about the abundance of grace and what it means to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. Session five is living from the inside out. And we're going to look at Romans 7, Colossians 2. We're going to talk about spiritual circumcision, our identity in Jesus, spirit, soul, and body. Um, a wonderful teaching about being joined to Jesus and his life living through us by the Holy Spirit. Session six is Jesus Unveiled. And I love that teaching. It's from 2 Corinthians 3. And we're going to contrast the, uh, the two covenants, the letter that kills and the spirit that gives life, and what happens when the veil of condemnation is removed and we see Jesus as in a mirror. Session 7 is Father Abraham. And we're going to talk about why he's the father of our faith. What is the righteousness of faith? We're going to look into Romans 4, Galatians 3, and talk about the unconditional, unbreakable covenant of grace that the Father made with the Son on our behalf. Session 8, Undiluted Grace, where we're going to become radical grace lovers, ready to share the gospel of grace, knowing that we are righteous sons and daughters of God. Session 9, Entering the Holiest, we're going to go through pretty much verse by verse through Hebrews 10, and we're going to get immersed in consciousness of Jesus and what the eternal blood of Jesus has done uh, basically has washed our sins away forever. And then session 10, turn your eyes upon Jesus, which is going to be my absolute favorite teachings on rest and peace. And once you have a, a revelation of grace, which hopefully you will by now, by then, if you don't by now, um, and you'll be able to find rest for your souls and peace. Peace in your conscience, peace in your life, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. So to start tonight, I'm going to do something that you're not supposed to do. I'm going to read, <laughs> okay? And it's only 5 o'clock or 5.15, so don't, it's too early to fall asleep. 
I'm going to share my testimony, and I read this a couple of weeks ago, and I cannot do better than in the book that I wrote about 10 years ago, which is called Unveiling Jesus. So I apologize if this, I'll try to read with inflection. I read lots to my children when they were little, and I was pretty good at it then. We'll see how I do. All right. Several years ago, I was, quote, successful in ministry according to anyone's standards of measurement. I wrote Bible studies on deliverance and prayer and led conferences that thousands of people participated in. The numbers were good, the momentum was strong, and there was no reason to doubt that the future would be bright. At least that's how it appeared. Yet with the prospect of such a promising future, how and why had I become so discontented? I was frustrated and stirred to the point of almost exploding. So miserable and burnt out, struggling with my thoughts and desperate for the joy of my salvation to return. I was fasting, praying, worshiping, serving God and the church more and more, trying to fix myself. And then someone shared a song with me entitled, Not Guilty Anymore by Aaron Keyes. The first time I listened to it, something amazing began to, ha to happen. My heart began to soften as the truth captured in this song washed over me. Some of the lyrics, It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter where you've been. Hear me tell you that I forgive. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. I love you. Mercy is yours. You're not broken anymore. Can you believe that this is true? Grace abundant I am giving you. The lyrics of that song went on with a similar theme to remind me that I am spotless, holy, faultless, whole, righteous, blameless, pardoned, and His forever. I listened to that song hundreds of times over the coming months. No exaggeration. I listened to the song in the car. I listened to it at home. I sang it at the top of my lungs every day. It was so much a part of my daily activities that I made everyone else listen to it too. In fact, it became the theme song of my ministry during that season. I played it at every prayer meeting, every planning meeting, every training meeting, at the conference, but the song was mostly for me. My hard heart was breaking. All my own efforts to fix myself were beginning to crumble as I began to understand who I was in Christ. As weeks turned into months, my heart became more pliable and I was encouraged by what was happening in my life. I was starting to feel alive again spiritually, not realizing that all of this was only preparation for what was ahead. Then, a few months later, it happened, an encounter with the Lord like I had never had. I was on the beach walking and praying after listening to a message called, Let's Put the Amazing Back into Grace. That's why I'm calling this, Let's Keep the Amazing in Grace. Someone had shared this teaching with me before I left from my vacation. Normally, I wouldn't even have listened to this message. People were always giving me stuff to listen to or to read, but I never had time. But God had a, another plan, and this time I listened. The message was on grace, and I had never heard the clarity of the gospel taught like this before. 
So much of what I had heard in that message was what we would say in church. It was terminology I had used my entire Christian life. Yes, the words were familiar, but the message was different. Very different. At that time in my Christian life, I was in the habit of praying what was called the tabernacle prayer format. It was a method of praying where we would symbolically start at the gate and end up at the Holy of Holies. There we would experience the presence of the Lord. It was, quote, seven steps to the presence of God. And it was patterned after the tabernacle system of priestly sacrifices in the Old Testament. The prayer format included lots of confession of sins, asking for forgiveness, and praying things like, Search me and know my heart, Lord. Let me know if there's any wicked way in me. After listening to the message on grace, my eyes were beginning to open to this marvelous revelation on the gospel. And somehow I felt tension in my prayer format. Were there seven steps to the presence of God? I asked the Lord, Where is the moment of encounter with the Spirit of grace in my prayer format? And I do remember this like it was yesterday. I was at Fort Morgan on the beach walking. I was getting very close to the encounter with Jesus that I had been waiting for my entire 45 years of life. I could sense the presence of the Lord walking with me on the beach and I heard Him say, Start at the brazen altar. Eager to obey, I did that. I saw my sin being punished in the body of Jesus. I saw the enormity of His sacrifice. Ah, It's hard to read. I thought if I read it, I wouldn't cry. And the absoluteness of God's forgiveness. I was touched more deeply than ever before as I let this truth penetrate my heart. After years of teaching others, I was finally getting it myself. I said, Lord, is this it? Is this the encounter with grace? I was a blank slate, and it was as if I was starting all over. He said, no, the brazen altar is my mercy. I took the punishment that you deserved. Go on to the laver. The laver in the Old Testament tabernacle was a large bowl lined with mirrors and filled with water that stood outside the entrance to a tent, which was comprised of two parts, the holy place and the holy of holies. So the priest would have to wash in the laver before he would take one more step towards the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. I started my routine, approach the laver prayer, search me and know my heart, and let me know if there's any wicked way in me. However, it seemed inappropriate to pray that way because I had just seen the Lamb of God take away my sins at the brazen altar, which represents the cross. The Lord said to me in my heart, Stop praying that and just look down in the bowl. I stopped and looked down and was blown away. It was the most pivotal moment of my entire life and continues to be even to this day. I felt like I was born again at that moment. The joy of my salvation returned in an instant. As I looked down through the waters into the mirrors of the laver, I saw what Jesus saw, perfected, blameless beauty. It was glorious. And then I was speechless. I prayed, but Lord, and I motioned back to the brazen altar, but Lord, look at all my sin. This can't be. 
I felt him smiling at me. I looked at him and I said, I don't deserve this. This can't be right. This is the most unfair thing I have ever seen. And all of a sudden, my first love returned and I exclaimed, I love you, Lord. I love you and I will do anything for you. I want to live for you forever. His response, Tricia, I just want you to rest. All of the pressure I had felt disappeared. All of the heavy burdens fell off and I felt so free. It seemed like almost like I could fly. For me, at last, there was no more have-to, no more duty-bound obligations, the need for man's approval, all the exhaustion, the do-do-do mentality, the need to please the Lord all dropped off my shoulders. And with that freedom came the realization that He was pleased with me, and He had been all along. Nothing else mattered to me at that moment except His love, His acceptance, and His approval. On the beach that day, Jesus gave me revelation of the great new covenant reality. By His blood, all my sin has been removed. All my condemnation was nailed to the cross. Now I was like Him, raised and seated in heavenly places. I had known the theological facts, but I encountered the person of grace, and my spiritual eyes were opened. In that glorious moment, my life changed forever. Now I know there is only one step to the presence of God, the cross of Jesus Christ. The veil has been torn, and I've entered into God's presence. Now I'm inside forever. Amen. Now you can look at your notes. <laughs> Colossians 1. Yet now... Now, God has reconciled you to Himself. Past tense. Through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result, He has brought you into His own presence. Past tense. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Let's keep the amazing in grace. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. This truth came to me as a flash of light. And what I saw, I can never unsee. I was perfect in His eyes. Not in your eyes, but in His Jesus looks at me and He says, You are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. When I look into the face of Jesus, I see who I have become in Him. That's why grace is not just a doctrine to me. Grace is a person and His name is Jesus. If you want to know who God is, what He is like, what His will is, then look at Jesus. It's impossible to see Jesus healing the sick, feeding the hungry, delivering those in bondage, defending those who've been accused and rejected, and then wonder what the will of God is. Jesus said in John 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians 1, He is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His nature. Now to the Gospel. 
Paul said in Romans 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. He was saying, I'm not ashamed to say to you that my standing with God is not dependent on my own performance. It's on the performance of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. It is the dunamis, the dynamite power of God to salvation, soteria, same root as sozo. And we've heard that word a lot, haven't we? It's not just your get out of hell free card. It's not your fire insurance. It is that. <laughs> but it's, it's more than that. From the moment you are born again, His salvation is your healing, is your deliverance, is your wholeness, is your peace. And the power for that salvation is in the good news that Jesus traded places with you. And it is for everyone who believes, pistis, you put your full hope, trust, and confidence in it. The gospel is not about what you do for Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus has already done for you. The gospel is that Jesus knew me before I was born. Before I loved Him, He loved me. He planned my life. He gave me a purpose and a destiny. And Jesus came as me. Jesus died as me. He went into the grave with my sin as me. And He rose again as me. He is seated as me at the right hand of God so that I could be as He is. A perfectly righteous daughter of God. The Gospel. Jesus served you. Jesus came down, stooped down, and made you one with Him. The next verse, Romans 1.17 says, For in it, speaking of the salvation that comes from believing the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not my righteousness. In that manifestation of life, the righteousness of God is revealed. It is revealed by faith. Faith to faith. As it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Righteousness, it means right standing with God. Right relationship with God. To believe that you are in right standing with God every single minute of every single day is going to take faith. Why is that? Because every single day you are going to look in the mirror and you are going to see evidence to the contrary. His righteousness must be revealed by the Holy Spirit from faith to faith. Grace does not make sense to the natural mind. All we understand is deductive reasoning. Do good, get good, feel good about yourself. Do bad, get bad, feel bad about yourself. Every religion believes that. Every religion believes that you should get the good you've earned and you also should get the bad you deserve. Only the gospel of grace tells you you get the good you could never earn and you will never have to get the bad you actually deserve. Grace tells us that when we fall flat on our face in our failures and in our sins, the perfect performance of Jesus Christ 
gives us the freedom and the choice to stand back up, brush ourselves off, look to Him, say thank you, and move forward. God's children are not perfectly behaved people. God's throne is called grace. Grace is undeserved favor. So the only criterion to receiving it is realizing that you need it and that you can't earn it or pay for it. If this offends you, this study might not be for you. But I assure you, I will not make light of sin. And anybody who knows me knows that. I will not make light of sin because true grace does not make light of sin. True grace makes much of Jesus. And that's what I'm going to do. If you think sin is a small matter, all you have to do is look at the cross. Because only the cross can give you the true estimate of the cost of sin. Christ crucified. What did mankind think of God's only begotten beloved Son? They hung Him on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, but not worthy of either. But what did God think of mankind? He loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son for us. And that ought to take our breath away. If it doesn't now, I hope I can convince you that it should. That is why, 1 Corinthians 2.2, I am determined. No, I hate it when I cry. I'm not going to cry, thank you. You might laugh. I'm determined to know nothing among you but Jesus and Him crucified. The person and the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That day in 2010, my heart broke wide open and I felt like I was born again again. Light flooded into my heart and I felt alive again after so many years of burnout. God did that. I didn't do that. All I did was come to the end of myself and I didn't even do that on purpose. I couldn't tell you how to do it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light. He's the giver of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where in the face of Jesus Christ. Light, revelation, the ability to see, spiritual eyesight to know and to see who Jesus is, what He has done, and what that means for me. What, what that says about who I am. That is what I've been praying for almost exclusively for three years. I haven't been doing much of this, so I apologize if I'm a little rusty. But I've been praying, Lord, will you command the light to shine out of darkness? Will you shine into hearts all across the world the light of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ? In John 8, Jesus identified Himself as the light of the world in the context of the account of the woman caught in adultery. This is a woman who saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And He demonstrated that He did not come to shine a light on her sin, but to reveal the grace of God. The Pharisees had drugged this woman out into the street in front of Jesus, and they tested Him to see if He would obey the law and command that this woman be stoned. In John 8, 6, it says, but 
Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. That's not what he wrote. I want you to think about where else in the Bible the finger of God is writing on stone, the stony ground of Jerusalem. The Ten Commandments. It's as if Jesus is saying, you presume to tell me about the law? I'm the one who wrote the law. Let me give you the purity of the law. The law will shut every mouth and make every one of you guilty. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you cast a stone at her first. And again, a second time, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest and even to the last. I guess the older they were, the more guilt they had piled up. Being convicted by their conscience of their hypocrisy, and I want you to know, you look through the Gospels and you see what was the sin that Jesus rebuked? Hypocrisy and a lack of faith. But He didn't call the people without faith whitewashed walls. Right? Whitewashed tombs. They were convicted in their conscience of their hypocrisy and they fled. The light of the world showed up, the stones dropped, and darkness fled. And then there were only two people left, the woman and Jesus. There is only one person who could have thrown a stone at her, the only one without sin. But He wouldn't do it. Jesus could have, but He wouldn't. They would have, but they couldn't. He says... Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? I think he asked her so she, he, she could hear herself say this out of her own mouth in the presence of God. No one. God's standing there. No one. There's no one here to condemn me. And he said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So many believe that if you will just stop sinning, you won't be condemned. But that's backwards. Jesus put the no condemnation first. Man tries to put the no sin first. But let's don't put second what God puts first. The power to go and sin no more is in the neither do I condemn you part. The power to go and sin no more is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If people knew that there is no condemnation when they fail, that in Christ there is no judgment, no shame, no reproach, they will go and sin no more. I want you to think, of this, think about this when you ponder this story. The writer of the law did not use the law on this person, on this woman. He didn't say, thou shalt not commit adultery. He didn't use what Paul called the ministry of death the ministry of condemnation with her. He was preoccupied with her freedom from condemnation, not her sin. The next verse, verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I want you to think about the context of Him saying that. It was in the context of Him defending this woman from those who had accused her and were wielding the weapon of the law, ready for her to be stoned and to die. He steps in the way 
And then he says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, this is who God is. This is what God is like. And then he says, he who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If they followed him, where would he lead them? He was headed to the cross. He was on assignment to bear their sin and their shame and our sin and our shame and go into the grave with it and then rise again without it. He would carry us 2,000 years ago from darkness to light. Colossians 1 The Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is saying, the place of no condemnation in me is the place of light. You don't need to be afraid of that light. Step into it. Because the purpose of the light isn't to condemn you and to reveal your sin to the world like a videotape of your life. The purpose of it is to show you that He has washed your sins away in His blood. That phrase, shall not, in shall not walk in darkness, is the Greek phrase, ume, meaning, If you follow me to the cross, if you're crucified with me, you can never, certainly not ever, by any means, you shall not walk in darkness. When you are born again, and I don't want to take too much tonight, but you became one with the Spirit of God in your spirit. If you are born again believer in Jesus Christ, you are one with Him. Your spirit is not in darkness. Your spirit is in Christ. You shall not walk in darkness. You may sin. You may participate in the works of darkness. God forbid. But if you do, you are still in Christ. Okay? That union is not cut off because you sinned. The only way it could be broken is if Jesus sinned or Jesus died. And neither one of those is going to happen. You can't break the covenant of grace because it was made within the infallibility of the Trinity on your behalf. What made with you? That's the old covenant. I'm not going to go off on that right now. 30 minutes. If you go off into a life of sin, participate in the works of darkness, I'll tell you, the only thing that's happened is you have forgotten who you are. Ephesians 5.8 For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's who you are. Walk as children of light. So my goal for this study is for us to learn more about how to receive and keep on receiving that greatest love gift ever given, which is the righteousness of of God in Christ Jesus that has made us one with Him and the abundance of His grace. Receive and keep on receiving. And under grace, you are going to be freer than you could have ever imagined. You will have nothing to hide. Wouldn't that be glorious? 
Nothing to prove. Nothing to gain because you have it all. Nothing to lose. You won't even care about your reputation anymore. No one to convince. You can leave that up to God. No one to impress because the only one who really matters thinks you're awesome. You don't need followers because you're secure in Him. You don't need man's approval. You don't need a position or a title. You are filled with joy. You are marked with peace. You are resting in the finished work of Jesus. Free to serve. Free to love. Confident in your identity in Jesus. Free to succeed because you're free to fail. We all fail. And there is this wonderful safety net called the arms of Jesus Christ. They will catch you when you fall. The arms of our loving Heavenly Father whose arms were wide open when the Son returned. His arms are wide open. That's the safety net. The biggest one, I believe, is you are free to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can hear Him. You can follow Him. You can pray to Him. You can know Him. You can be filled with Him. I just did a podcast on the Holy Spirit being poured out and filling us and all of that. Um, to me, that's the greatest thing this side of heaven is to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Grace will transform you into an eagle who soars. Amen.